of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley in the Spice Radio studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, Arkansas creeps and North Carolina thieves in Boss Watch. The UAW reviews Stellantis' proposals. KIV says Alabamians are lazy. We talk to Social Security workers about their recent contract. All that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show, We've got a phone number, but the line is not open. I apologize. We have too much to get to today, but you can still text us at 844-899-TVLR. That's 844-899-8857, and we might uh, respond to your text message on the air. Additionally, if you're listening to to us on the radio, we are live on YouTube. So you can head over to YouTube and join us in the chat, and we can see you. And we might respond to that as well. Uh, There's also a bunch of people in the chat already, like Stidham Family Gospel, who says, UAW Strong, if you're a gospel group, uh, you should send me a message and some of your work because I love gospel. Little known fact about Jacob. I love gospel music. Some of my favorite. Uh, So if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap up here on the radio today, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, because believe it or not, we do stuff through the week. Uh, We tweet very good tweets. We Facebook very good Facebooks. (laughs) And (laughs) and everyone's saying it. Everyone's saying it. Everyone's saying it. And Adam does a show on Thursday mornings uh, called Shop Talk. So we got stuff going on throughout the week. So you can find us anywhere you find anything online. You're going to want to bookmark our website, tvlr.fm, for new articles. You're going to want to sign up for our newsletter so we can let you know when new stuff happens. Um, Just a reminder, your support is what keeps us on the air, folks. Our largest single source of donors comes directly from our listeners. We get more money from our listeners than any other of our union sponsors. Okay, so that's very, very important, and we could not do it without y'all. And for those of you that are donating, we appreciate it so much. Uh, I do want to make that clear. We're very appreciative. And for those of you who have not begun, uh, who have not begun donating to the show yet, I hope you consider it because it takes money to do this. Adam and I work on this volunteer, but the people who do this behind the scenes, we do. We want to pay them, and we do pay them, and we pay them at least $20 an hour. Um, and so it takes money to do that. And additionally, it takes money to get on the radio. We pay for the airtime on the commercial radio stations that we're on because we believe that it is worthwhile to reach just random working people. 
who have the radio on that station and are going to hear us for an hour and a half every Saturday morning instead of, you know, anti-worker drivel. Uh, so if you think that's worthwhile, then please do consider supporting us at tvlr.fm slash donate. You can also buy our merch. We have a new uh, shirt on pre-order. You can get that, tvlr.fm slash store. Pre-orders are going to end on that pretty soon here in the next couple of weeks. So you're going to want to get in on that. Uh, and if you're a member of a union, then please do think about getting your local to sponsor the show, to run some ads on our program, to make a donation, something like that. Um, because it, it really takes, it takes it all. It takes our listeners donating one, two, three, five, ten, twenty dollars a month. And it takes, uh, unions sponsoring the show. We could not do it without both of those pieces. It's all very important. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, again, want to thank everybody who does contribute to the show, everyone who donates, everyone who listens and shares, whatever you do to contribute, it really is appreciated because this is a collective effort. Uh, I do want to add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. We welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Unclaimed Mysteries Internet Radio, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app. We are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check that out. And as most of you know, but if you're new, maybe you don't, we are not media professionals. We're just a few diehard unionists who believe that Alabama and the South's labor movement and working class deserve a bigger platform. So we're really hoping this project can make a difference on that front. And again, we can't do it without you. So thank you for spending some time with us this morning. Uh, and we really do appreciate you spending time with us this morning. Infinite content. I got your tweet. I don't know if we're going to be able to react to it. I didn't see the tweet until we were basically already about to go live. Um, and we have a lot of stuff that, that we already have uh, to react to in in overtime. So um, so we'll see. Uh, I'll, I'll check it out during one of the breaks, but I'm not sure that we're going to be able to get to it. Um, Creppy, vote no on the contracts. We appreciate everybody in the Teamsters uh, that work for UPS tuning in. Penelope, good morning. Finally getting to watch live today. Appreciate that. And Penelope, I remember you telling me that your granddaughter was going to uh, uh, was going to be in a production of the Newsies. So if you want to call in at some point or leave us a voicemail, let us know how that goes. We would be super interested. Um, and uh, <laughs> Billy's Mini Willie. CWA local 8125-81250 tuning in. Thank you, Billy's Mini Willie. Shout out CWA. Shout out CWA. That's right. Uh, so it's time for Boss Watch, folks. That is the segment where we take a look at bosses breaking the law, which they do every week, all the time. In fact, bosses break the law more often than working people, but they don't go to prison for it, funny enough. Uh, but we do. If we break the law, we're going to go to prison, but not your boss. So let's see what bosses were up to across the South this week. In North Carolina, a Durham construction services contractor, R&R Construction Maintenance of North Carolina, stole more than $800,000 from its employees. $800,000. Can you imagine? They would put me under the jail if I stole three quarter of a million dollars. 
under the jail. That's where I would go. So this contractor was forced to pay back wages along with an equal amount in damages to the 188 affected workers by the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of North Carolina in 2022. And this is being announced today because finally, <laughs> almost at the end of 2023, the U.S. Department of Labor has finally recovered the stolen money. So the workers now finally have the money back. Um... Uh, the back wages and the damages from the contractor. This theft occurred because the company denied workers minimum wage and overtime wages, and they uh, and the workers were misclassified as independent contractors. Heading over to Arkansas, we have a couple of creeps. The EEOC alleges that Simply Slims in Hot Springs, Arkansas, violated federal law when it subjected a class of teenagers, teenagers and young adults to sexual harassment and a sexually hostile work environment. According to the EEOC's lawsuit, a shift manager made inappropriate sexual comments to a young female. The young female immediately reported the comments to the general manager. While receiving notice of the sexual harassment, the company failed to address the harassment, and the shift manager continued to harass other young female employees, including teenagers. Wow. Here's what he did. The shift manager would brush up against the girls intentionally. He would rub their shoulders, poke them in inappropriate places. He fondled the breast of one young female, touched one on her bottom, and placed his hand on the inner thigh of another. Eventually, the sexual harassment forced several of the employees to resign. You do this stuff out of the workplace and you go to jail, right? <laughs> if you do it inside the workplace, you're going to get a slap on the wrist. It's insane. It really, the laws in this country are wild. Such alleged conduct violates Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits sexual harassment in the workplace. The EEOC filed suit in the U.S. District Court of the Western District of Arkansas after first attempting to reach a pre-litigation settlement through conciliation process. The suit seeks monetary relief in the form of back pay, compensatory and punitive damages, compensation for lost benefits, and an injunction against future discrimination. Slim Chickens is a fast casual restaurant specializing in wings, tenders, sandwiches, and wraps headquartered in Fayetteville, Arkansas. It has over 200 locations. Wow. Crazy Nobody stuff. should ever have to deal with that. Certainly not in the workplace. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Let's have it over to Alabama where there's a story from June that we missed where federal workplace safety inspectors determined the operator of a southern Alabama tire shop could have prevented a 45-year-old mechanic's fatal injuries by following required safety standards. An investigation by the U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, found the tire service mechanic and an apprentice had just inflated a tractor tire after mounting it on its rim at Neil Tyndall Tire, LLC, in Op, Alabama, on January the 18th of 2023, when seconds later the tire exploded as the mechanic leaned over to unhook the air compressor's hose. The tire then struck the mechanic before flying upward where it broke through the ceiling and landed on the roof. Good Lord. And it killed him. The OSHA inspectors learned the air compressor the two workers used had been set to inflate the tire at 110 pounds 
per square inch of pressure when the tire that exploded had a maximum load carrying capacity of 35 pounds of pressure per square inch. Over three times the maximum capacity. The agency determined that the tire shop allowed employees to inflate tires on single-piece rim wheels without using a required restraining device or a barrier for protection against tire explosion. In addition, OSHA cited the company for exposing workers to struck-by hazards by allowing workers to remain in an unsafe area while inflating tires and for failing to prevent workers from inflating tires above the manufacturer's maximum recommended pressure. And, and here's, here's the penalty for this. And this is important because, you know, we had a conversation over a year ago with some bosses here in Huntsville. Uh, and you can find it on our channel. Um, I, I think the title of the clip is uh, we, uh, Adam and Jacob Explain Labor Law to Two Bosses for Two Hours, something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. But they talked about how, oh, I have to take so much risk because I'm an employer because if anything happens to my employees, I could go to jail, which is almost universally not true. It's just a lie. Or, well, I mean, these are young people. They probably don't know. That's probably just what the other bosses that they're learning from told them. Uh, so they're probably not lying when they say that. They're just misinformed. They don't know anything about the law. Here's what Neil Tyndall Tire LLC faced for killing a man. A proposed penalty of $14,511. Neil Tyndall Tire LLC has been operating in Op Alabama since 1998, specializing in the distribution, sale, and installation of new and used tires for cars, pickups, semi-trucks, and tractors. The company has a 440,000 square foot tire storage warehouse. Heading over to Texas, where Mewburn Oil Company has agreed to pay a $5.5 million penalty for illegal pollution in New Mexico and Texas and undertake projects expected to cost at least $4.6 million to ensure 422 of its oil and gas well pads in New Mexico and Texas comply with state and federal clean air regulations and offset past illegal emissions. These terms... Here's what it's for. They're in settlement of claims alleged in a civil complaint filed uh, by the EPA and the New Mexico Energy Department that alleges that at more than 100 of its oil and gas production operations uh, in New Mexico and Texas, the, uh, the company Mewburn failed to obtain required state and federal permits and they failed to capture and control air emissions from storage vessels and failed to comply with inspection, monitoring, and record-keeping requirements. The EPA and the New Mexico Energy Department, Environmental Department, identified the alleged violations through field investigations and repeated flyover surveillance conducted in 2019, 2020, and 2022. Mewburn's actions taken pursuit uh, to the deal will eliminate more than 11,000 tons of harmful pollutants from the air each year. Um, and these pollutants are uh, uh, are in relation to uh, volatile organic compounds, VOCs, 
And those VOCs are a component in the formation of ground-level ozone, which irritates the lungs, exacerbates diseases such as asthma, and can increase susceptibility to respiratory illnesses, such as pneumonia and bronchitis. So this isn't just like emission stuff. This is stuff that is going to kill people, going to severely decrease their quality of life. And in addition, a co-benefit of these reductions, which are going to total um, total 11,000 tons. Today's settlement is going to eliminate 11,000 tons of harmful air pollutants. Uh, the Principal Deputy Assistant Administrator Larry Starfield of the EPA's Office of Enforcement and Compliance Assurance um, that, that's how much harmful air pollutants is going to be reduced by these orders. Uh, in addition, as a co-benefit, the consent decree will result in significant reductions of greenhouse gas emissions, including reducing methane, which is a powerful greenhouse gas. 1,300 tons of annual methane reductions equates to more than 33,000 tons of carbon dioxide. And eliminating the release of this amount of methane per year is similar to eliminating the annual use of 3.4 million gallons of gasoline. So very important thing uh, happening over in Texas. Here's the final story that we're going to dig into. Uh, Amazon lying, which is oh. not an uncommon occurrence. Wow. You don't say. Story from my, uh, Vice Motherboard. Um, and Adam, you know, you know how Amazon claims that actually Amazon drivers are not employees of Amazon. Right. They're employees of contractors that Amazon contracts with. So they're not Amazon's employees. They're like delivery service professional incorporated's employees. And they're not a joint employer. And specifically, this is actually literally what they said in an email to a reporter about their <laughs> reporting about their treatment about these drivers. They said, quote, these drivers are not Amazon drivers, actually, but drivers who deliver for Amazon, which is a very critical factual difference. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that distinction is, in fact, important because if it is true that these Amazon drivers are not, in fact, Amazon employees, then that means that Amazon is not a joint employer and therefore does not have to bargain with these employees if they elect to unionize. However... If Amazon is lying, which they are, you know, let's be honest, it would mean that under the law, they would be mandated to bargain with uh, drivers that unionize. And, you know, while it may seem obvious that Amazon is a joint employer to its delivery drivers, considering uh, that Amazon dictates literally every aspect of the job, we have another piece of evidence directly from Amazon themselves, which is that they spent over $160,000 last, just last year on anti-union consultants specifically to dissuade drivers that work for their contractors from unionization. Hmm. Now, if, they're, if they aren't their employees, then why does Amazon care if they unionize or not? That's pretty strange. Right. Right. Trying to influence another's co another company's employees in their decision to unionize. That's strange behavior for an uninterested party. So there we go, folks. That's Boss Watch. We do have a few dishonorable mentions 
Aurora Pro Services, a North Carolina-based residential home service and repair company, has agreed to pay $50,000 and provide other relief to settle a religious harassment, discrimination, and retaliation lawsuit brought because all employees were made to attend a daily employer-led Christian prayer meeting and reprimanded employees who did not attend up to and actually including termination for employees who did not want to pray with their boss. Wild stuff happening in North Carolina. The EEOC announced a lawsuit against HCA Healthcare Incorporated, which is a for-profit corporation headquartered in Nashville because they violated federal law by refusing to promote an employee because of his age, race, and national origin and fired him in retaliation for complaining internally to his employer about the discrimination. The EEOC also announced a lawsuit against Silver Bay Seafood Restaurant Incorporated because they violated a federal law when it subjected a female employee to a sexual, uh, sexually hostile work environment. Specifically, she, re- she alleges she was continually sexually harassed and touched. The U.S. Department of Labor recovered a little over $7,000 for one worker illegally fired for his protected use of family and medical leave by his employer, Home Two Suites, in Shreveport, Louisiana. Here's one we missed from April. The Williams Companies agreed to a settlement that requires them to pay $3.75 million civil penalty and spend an estimated $8.5 million to come into compliance after the companies violated leak detection and repair requirements in federal, state, and tribal clean air laws resulting in excess emissions of VOCs. We just talked about that earlier. Those lead to um, uh, uh, those lead to serious public health concerns, including respiratory illnesses, aggravation of existing heart disease, and uh, exacerbation of asthma. Young children and the elderly are especially sensitive to these impacts, and this affects this affects natural gas processing plants owned by this company across the South, including in Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas, West Virginia, and Texas. The EPA issued a proposal, a proposed denial to Alabama's permit program to manage coal combustion residuals after they identified deficiencies in the Alabama Department of Environmental Management's permits with closure requirements for unlined service impoundments, groundwater monitoring networks, and corrective action requirements. The EPA discussed these issues with ADEM. However, the state agency has not revised its permits or supplemented its application to explain how such permits are as protective as the federal requirements. Under federal regulations, uh, surface impoundments cannot be closed if, once closure is complete, the coal ash continues to be saturated by groundwater. Facilities must prevent groundwater from infiltrating and flowing out of the closed unit to prevent additional groundwater contamination. In contrast, Alabama does not require that groundwater infiltration be adequately addressed during the closure of these coal ash units, so they have to follow federal law. Mm. And finally, the U.S. Department of Labor announced today that its Mine Safety and Health Administration, MSHA, will extend public co- the public comment period on proposed amendments to existing federal standards that protect the nation's miners from health hazards related to workplace exposure of respirable crystalline silica or silica dust. They've expl- uh, they have extended the public comment period through September the 11th. So get your comments in in support of our country's coal miners not dying of black lung. That's right. We're going to head to a break. On the other side, we should... Uh, have we got the Social Security workers in the Zoom We yet? sure do. We sure do. So we're going to take a break really quick, and we're going to be right back talking to uh, representatives of 
the Social Security Administration's employees about a new contract that they just negotiated with the Social Security Administration. Folks, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and family members are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough even to keep their jobs. We can fix this. It's time for us to find a way to close the health care coverage gap so that people can remain at work. Let's make this a priority. Let's close this gap and cover Alabama. To learn more and how you can help, visit CoverAlabama.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAT. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior'd Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior'd Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior'd Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior'd Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Seniored Law, the name with proven results. 
Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth, all wealth should go to labor, and you are listening to The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. We're broadcasting live from the Spice Radio studio in Huntsville, Alabama, online and on the radio. Uh, We just finished up going through Boss Watch. If you miss any part of the show, uh, don't forget that you can go to our YouTube page and rewind and check it out. You can also find us uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts, where we upload the first half of the show every Tuesday morning at 5 a.m. Second half of the show goes up on every Thursday morning at 5 a.m. Um, thanks again to everybody in the chat. Will joined us, D.L. Cindero and Sin Nanda and Natori Lee. Thank you all for joining us. We really appreciate it. 36 people watching and 13 likes on YouTube. We can get those numbers up, I think. Also, if you're watching and you haven't subscribed, please consider doing that. And if you're a regular listener and you have the funds, then do consider uh, donating to the show, becoming a monthly recurring automatic donor at tvlr.fm slash donate. All right, so... Uh, like I said, before we went to the break, we are going to be talking about, uh, the new contract negotiated by the American Federation of Government Employees, uh, and the Social Security Administration, which is going to cover 42,000 Social Security employees nationwide. And these new workplace, uh, rights and protections, they are really, really, really cool, um, just a couple of them here, you know, there's going to be new allowances for temporary compassionate assignments uh, for a temporary personal situation outside of their control, like illness of a parent. I know this is something that my family's actually going through right now. My grandmother had a stroke uh, or had two strokes now. And, and so we're having to care for her. And, and, you know, it's, it's been like, difficult on our family that has to work and so being able you know being able to kind of change your situation at work for a while really i can personally now understand how beneficial that's going to be uh to these members um uh there's going to be more uh uh Funds for emergency backup care. There's going to be more protections uh, for uh, mothers who need to breastfeed. Lots of cool stuff. We're going to dig into it a little bit more with Rich Kucher. He is the president of the AFGE Council 220, which represents Social Security Administration workers. Rich, thanks for talking to us on the program today. Hey, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, best wishes to you and your family and your grandmother for a speedy recovery. I appreciate it. I really do. Um, so, yeah, you know, before we jump into this contract, I guess, can you talk to us about what the employees that you represent do? Because, you know, I think that there's a lot of people there. There's just for anything in our society, actually, there's if you're if you've never actually done the work or you've never watched people do the work. You just you can't appreciate how much work goes into certain things. And, and one example that, that I've been pointing to lately for that is shows like concerts and stuff. 
the Stagehands Union in Huntsville, they're the exclusive labor provider for the Orion Amphitheater and the VBC. We have a bunch of big concerts. And you just and, and I was able to go through a walkthrough with the union as they were setting up for a fish concert one time. And there was, you know, like 50, 60, 70 people running around a day or two before the concert even began. It's amazing how much work goes into stuff like that. And so I'm positive that there's a similar situation going on in the Social Security Administration. Can you talk to us about what your members do? Sure. Uh, So, you know, we have a very diverse agency, uh, both demographically speaking and also in the nature of of the work that we perform. Uh, and so, you know, my folks, I'm, I'm actually president of Council 215, uh, 215, uh, and my particular part of the agency represents uh, employees in our hearing offices and our appeals council uh, installations nationwide. Uh, and so by the time my, uh, my constituents get involved in the claims process would be after the initial two steps of disability claims primarily, where they would go through the field office employees who are represented by Council 220. Um, they would you know, file their disability applications. There'd be a disability determination made on those claims. And if they happen to be denied or they disagree with the decision in any way at the first two steps, the initial step and the reconsideration step, then they have the right under the law to a hearing before an administrative law judge uh, of, of Social Security. Uh, and so my my colleagues uh, in the hearing offices, we are the support staff for those ALJs. Uh, so we'll do all the case work up before the hearing. We'll assist in scheduling the hearing, uh, review the cases for the judge prior to the hearing, and then draft a decision for the judge after the hearing, along with other sort of post-hearing workloads. And so that that's who I represent. Now, I touched upon the field offices you know, they're the primary point of contact or one of the two main primary points of contact that the American public would have with Social Security. Uh, everything from getting a Social Security card taken care of uh, to filing a retirement, a survivor's, a, a disability application with a claim specialist, you know, dealing with uh, representative payee issues when somebody's not capable of handling their own funds and they need a responsible family member or other third party to manage their benefits for them. All of that type of work uh, is 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 addressed uh, at the uh, field office. And so there's about 12, over 1,200 field offices nationwide. And so that is, again, one of the two main points of contact that virtually every American would have with this agency. The other being our 800 number, our teleservice centers. Um, You call our 800 number, you're going to be talking to one of our bargaining unit employees uh, who's going to try to assist you. Uh, unfortunately, under some fairly onerous circumstances, um, you know, given our staffing situation and the expectations that the agency has with uh, production on the calls. So, uh, you know, we in addition to that, we have uh, so we have about eight payment centers nationwide, uh, two at headquarters, and then the other six all over the country that are represented by Council 109 and and Local 1923 in Baltimore, uh, a data operations center in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, uh, and then quality review offices located in the regional offices nationwide. So we have. Uh, you know, we're we're all over the country. Uh, as you noted, we're over 42,000 bargaining unit employees strong. And, uh, you know, the nature of the work that we do is, uh, again, very diverse, as is uh, our workforce. Right. 
And so you were the chief negotiator uh, for this round of negotiations. What were some of your what, what were your biggest priorities, the things that you wanted to, com- to accomplish for your members going into these negotiations? So I think for your benefit and, and the benefit of the listeners, I want to back up to 2018 um, because that's when all the fun started. And mm. I'm being sarcastic and saying it was fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Memorial Day weekend. All right, so our contract, our 2012 national agreement expired in uh, December of 2017 in the agency under uh, uh, the last administration had signaled to us that they were very interested in reopening the contract and going through full-term negotiations. And, you know, we began preparing uh, for those negotiations uh, almost as if we were under normal circumstances. Memorial Day weekend 2018, uh, the last administration had issued three anti-union, anti-employee executive orders that were uh, geared towards uh, curtailing, if not outright gutting, uh, the rights of federal employees uh, to have union representation, effective union representation, as well as uh, certain due process and and procedural rights that they would have with respect to issues such as, uh, you know, performance cases and disciplinary matters. And so we saw this as an outright attack on our existence as uh, federal sector labor organizations and, uh, you know, on very, very dearly held rights that we have as federal employees. Uh, to representation in the workplace and to some basic fundamental due process in the way that management addresses uh, alleged uh, performance issues and disciplinary problems. And so, you know, we were we had to retool and really try to address this 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 fundamental attack um, almost as if we were building the plane in midair. Uh, The agency came in, uh, SSA came in very hot. Uh, their proposals were some of the most draconian rollbacks of these rights uh, that I've ever seen. I mean, you know, under normal circumstances, management is keen to, you know, propose, make proposals out of left field to try to, uh, you know, curtail these sorts of rights. But they aren't they aren't truly serious proposals under normal circumstances. The the agency's initial proposals with respect to representational time, uh, with respect to performance, with respect to discipline, uh, with respect to access to union representatives uh, on site during the workday were some of the most uh, egregious proposals I had ever seen. I mean, they were akin to science fiction uh, and not good science fiction like Star Trek. So, <laughs> you know, we, we were they wanted a a. a truncated negotiation schedule of only four months where we would meet two weeks a month for for the course of four months and then if we weren't uh if we did not reach an agreement by that point uh as you know or, or you may be aware federal employees are not allowed to strike um patco you know we're we're governed by the same law that reagan used to uh wipe out patco and so we're not allowed to strike. And when we reach a bargaining impasse, you know, our employer can't lock us out and we can't withhold our labor. And so a third party panel of seven individuals that is selected entirely by the president and is not subject to uh, is to, to my as I speak right now, to my knowledge, not subject necessarily to um, confirmation. They're allowed to uh there's no 
requirement for partisan or ideological balance. And so what normally happens under a Republican administration is that uh, the, you know, a Republican president will pick uh, management friendly uh, panel members uh, and in a Democratic administration, because the Democrats like fairness, um, <laughs> they'll they'll try to strive for some type of balance between the two poles. And, and isn't that it, well, funny? Like, I just want to just take a second to to think about that, that, you know, because this happens all the time when when Democrats get in, they try to do this like, oh, we want to appear fair and balanced and not too we we don't want to be too pro worker, right? And so they'll you know they'll appoint bosses and workers, whereas Republicans will just they'll they'll just do management side people. I mean you know that's just it's a it's a funny kind of uh, 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 lack of symmetry. I agree. Uh, 100%. And, you know, the, 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 the GOP generally looks at these situations and say, we're going to do what we want because we won. Right. Um, right. We, we feel we have a mandate and there isn't that, that symmetry or that, uh, you know, that there isn't a reciprocal offsetting sentiment by the Democratic Party when they get into power. Um, although this, the current impasses panel is better than most. Um, however, you know, my, my general feeling is the impasses panel is not necessarily the place that a federal sector union goes for justice. And what the Trump administration had done was they, they it was management friendly on steroids. Um, they had picked not just management friendly you know, law professors or management side uh, labor attorneys, they picked union busters. Uh, I mean, it, it was the most hostile panel that we had that we had ever seen. And so, you know, under these circumstances where they immediately gutted our representational time, immediately uh, removed our ability to access employees at the work site through these executive orders, you know, re unilaterally rewrote parts of our uh, prior term agreement because it had expired and they felt they had the right to do so. Um, we were then going into negotiations with both hands tied behind our back, and it really revealed, uh, you know, not just to those of us at Social Security, but also I think the federal sector, um, the labor movement in general, just how vulnerable we were politically uh, and legally to a, a change in administration, and particularly to an administration that was uh, hostile uh, to the very existence of federal sector union rights. And so the... You know, where we ended up going was, uh, you know, trying to preserve as much as we could. It certainly wasn't a situation where, um, you know, the entire federal sector labor relations apparatus was arrayed against us. And what I mean by that was, uh, and I just kind of went into the federal service impasses panel that would break the bargaining impasse, but the Federal Labor Relations Authority, or FLRA, uh, which is the federal sector analog to the National Labor Relations Board, they... Uh, there, there was a two Republican, one Democrat uh, uh, composition. So obviously it was an anti-worker majority, uh, but they curiously had no general counsel. And under their interpretation of their internal rules and regulations, uh, they felt that if they didn't have a confirmed or proper general counsel in place, uh, they were not in a position to issue complaints in unfair labor practice charges. And so we had entire uh, an entire venue shut down to us. 
And so we couldn't go to the FLRA for justice. The panel certainly was not a place where we could go for justice. And so, um, you know, our my union at the national level, other federal sector unions had filed lawsuits against the executive orders that resulted in uh, in late August of 2018, an injunction against uh, any action taken by subordinates of the president, i.e. federal agencies, to take any steps to implement the more draconian provisions of the um, of those executive orders. And interestingly enough, uh, the judge in that case is now Justice Brown Jackson on the Supreme Court. Um, so, you know, we we went through this very rapid fire negotiation process in 2018 and into 2019, uh, where, you know, the agency was taking this very scattershot approach to negotiations because they wanted to be able to say with a straight face, we talked about all the contract articles, therefore, and we're not getting an agreement, therefore, we need to be be released to go to the impasses panel. And ultimately, that's what happened uh, in December of 2018 and into January of 2019. We found ourselves in front of the, uh, the, this hostile impasses panel that did follow through on the you know threats made by the administration, the last administration. We found our representational time cut uh, and gutted. Uh, we found ourselves removed from uh, federal office uh, work sites in terms of union offices and 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 and, and the like. Uh, performance rights we were able to hold on to to some degree. Um, they didn't. They they wanted to. What the agency and the administration wanted to do at that time was foreclose the grievance procedure and the arbitration process to. Uh, performance cases and severe disciplinary cases. They wanted everything to go to the what's called the Merit Systems Protection Board, uh, which is, again, not a very uh, it's not known for being an employee friendly body. It's highly legalistic. It's not the less formal environment that you would see in a grievance procedure. And we were fortunately able to hold on to those rights because there was very clear precedent um, in the D.C. Circuit, that if you're going to try to take those rights away and and avoid having a broad scope grievance process, that you have to have a good, solid business justification for doing so. And, you know, our argument was SSA can't make that case. They've never even proffered any evidence to that point. And so it was one of the few things that we were able to hold on to uh, in that environment. But we found our telework rights were eliminated you know, and as I said, it made it, it, they they made our ability to represent our workforce uh, tremendously harder um, as a result of the executive orders and the bargaining pro, uh, posture. And so, why I wanted to get into all that background is because you asked about our priorities. Uh, we have been clawing back almost negotiating or renegotiating this term agreement in a piecemeal fashion through uh, settlement of litigation, which we got to uh, restore our uh, prior representational rights under the last agreement, uh, uh, and then to renegotiate parts of uh, the, the, the contract that really went to uh, very important issues involving employee rights and work-life balance and, and those sorts of things, as well as trying to find a way uh, to better work with agency executives to simply get things done, both to uh, improve working conditions and improve public service outside of the context of the traditional collective bargaining system, which, 
even under President Biden, has not been the easiest uh, road to travel. And we're not the only agency that's been in that boat. It's been fairly universal across the federal government and other federal agencies that um, even though President Biden has uh, referred to himself as the most pro-union president in American history, and I think FDR might have a better claim to that, um, <laughs> such as it is, but you know, right. even though he's touted himself as uh, the most pro-union president in American history, that that feeling, that sentiment, that that uh, vision hasn't filtered down into federal mm -hmm. agencies in the way that we would have liked to have seen, um, mm -hmm. especially since he rescinded the Trump orders uh, within the first 48 hours of his administration. Uh, again, uh, brother, I could not agree with you more. Um, th that's just another kind of asymmetry uh, that you see because, you know, like as soon as as soon as Republicans get in office, they try to do everything that they can to take away um, worker power within the, the federal service. And um, and it's just and part of it is that it's just kind of difficult to it is difficult to rebuild like it, it's it's easy to knock stuff down. Right. But it it, it, it kind of takes a little bit more time to rebuild. And so that's one reason. But but I do think there there's just a lack of. Uh, a, a lack of urgency with this, um, you know, I mean, allowing the NLRB to continue to not be funded properly through the Biden administration. Uh, they got a 10 percent increase in the last fiscal year, which only kept up with inflation. Right. I mean, <laughs> and that's after they had been flat funded since 2014. I mean, it's just there, there's there's a whole lot more that, that I think that we could be getting and, and, and that and that federal workers deserve. And that, like you said, would be to the benefit of the people, the American public that we serve, because when you have workers that are taken care of, that are comfortable, that are that 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 can have a good middle class life and be. Uh, secure in their jobs, they're going to be able to perform better. And we saw that over the pandemic with UPS. I mean, it was just a perfect, perfect example of, okay, here's a test. FedEx and UPS, they are both strained by the pandemic because of the increase in volume that they have to, uh, that they're, they're being asked to transport. FedEx repeatedly failed their uh their their late deliveries were far superior far, far more than UPS and they made significantly less profit because less people wanted to go to FedEx because they knew that UPS was going to get it to them on time more often and 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 UPS was better able to retain employees and better able to take advantage of that environment where there is more volume and so they made significantly more profits than FedEx did over the pandemic because of their workforce that was relatively well taken care of. Uh, of course, there were a lot of issues and a lot of those issues uh, were addressed uh, with this new tentative agreement. I think there's still more that some employees at UPS want, but uh, it's a big step forward. And, and you know, so that, that that's a great point that you brought up about how, you know, it, it's not as if the interests of us as federal employees, I'm not sure if you if you knew or if if Michael told you that I'm a member of AFGE Local 1858. Our interests are not in competition with the American public that we serve. It's actually we're aligned. Um, so that's that's a great point. And so with that, what were some of the things that y'all were able to win in this contract? 
So uh, let me just say, you know, you're absolutely quite right about, uh, you know, happy employees. They, 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 they're more productive, morale's higher. You're looking at uh, you know, better uh, retention of employees. And it's really that I'm going to use that as the jumping off point for what we wanted to do, what we wanted to accomplish through the negotiations. Uh, SSA, during the pandemic, um, in a lot of ways, you know, we were, I already used the metaphor of building the plane in midair, and, and that really was something that we were doing at SSA uh, for the two years that we were, were out due to COVID-19. Um, we had gone from a scenario in which the last Republican commissioner had wiped out telework for our field offices, our 800 number, and our payment centers, uh, among other places, and had curtailed uh, telework for a lot of other support staff, such as in the hearing offices, uh, headquarters, regional offices, et cetera. And we, we immediately, you know, as whiplash, we went from having these, these cuts and eliminations to uh, all of a sudden going into a mandatory evacuation posture where everybody who could work remotely was working remotely, which was, I mean, upwards of 95% of the bargaining unit. Uh, field office employees who uh, traditionally, obviously, working in the office uh, most day, if not most days, if not every day, were now working from home 100 percent of the time uh, and trying to find, you know, as with everybody else in the agency. And, and, and so it was this major culture shift where the agency had to acknowledge, for example, that uh, we could do our work differently and we needed to modernize, we needed to modernize our approach to public service. Uh, you know, the, the people I represent, and I, you know, I trust you're of like mind since you mentioned you're a federal, uh, a fellow federal employee. Um, we're mission minded. When I joined SSA in 2002, um, I did it because I wanted to serve, I wanted to serve my country. I wanted to give back to my community. Um, that was, that's how I was inclined. It wasn't right. just a job. I, I, I knew I wanted to serve the public. So, and, Rich, you mean to tell me you didn't join the fe you didn't work for the federal government because you wanted to get rich? <laughs> yeah, you know, you caught me. Um, <laughs> you, know, I, it, <laughs> um, you know, I think it was uh, it's something the JFK said about you know you, you you should be you know federal employees should be comfortable knowing that they're not going to get rich serving the public, but they should be able to have a good life, and and really that's what we what we need to strive for i mean and then certainly not just federal employees but workers in general and there's you know so this whole pandemic this whole pandemic mind shift this the, the shift in the way that we did our work um it really helped save the agency because uh we were having hiring problems we were having problems with uh adequate staffing which led to service degradation and the telework posture, this full telework posture really helped keep people employed uh, and serving the public, even under very exigent circumstances. And it really helped help the agency hold on. When we started returning to the offices in uh, late March 2022, uh, we, and we started seeing a precipitous drop in the bargaining unit size. We saw a lot of retirements a lot of separations and we knew of a lot of folks who were leaving either for other federal agencies where the working conditions were better, where the, where the benefits were better. Um, the micromanagement wasn't as existent uh, as it is and, and prevalent as it is at SSA, uh, particularly in the field offices and the hearing offices and elsewhere. Um, 
And, you know, we used to be a receiver agency, like we would attract employees from the VA, from the IRS, from the Department of Labor, and now we're a donor agency, and we give to those agencies, uh, among others. And so we started seeing a, a public service emergency, a, a real crisis that was being driven by attrition and record levels of attrition. Our 800 numbers saw attrition levels around 20% in a year's time. Um, and so what the agency, what SSA has 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 tried to do, and you, you're seeing this with uh, you know these regressive pieces of legislation out there, like the Show Up Act that the GOP's uh, pushed in the House and is trying to get passed in the Senate, which would require federal employees to basically go back to pre-pandemic levels of telework. Um, some of the, the the posturing of the of the Biden administration to try to force employees to go back to the offices uh, in greater numbers. Uh, it really, you know, it, it's it, it's it's things like this that are are not in, uh, congruent with reality. You know, at SSA, you know, we're seeing waiting times on the eight hundred number rise, and it's not because of telework. It's because we don't have enough people to answer the phone. Um, you know, waiting times right now are north of thirty five minutes and growing. I mean, every time we lose a, a, an eight hundred number worker. Uh, that just adds to the wait times because it's one less person to to share the to share the workload, uh, which means the public waits longer. And similarly, you know, the, with 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 staffing declines in in the field offices and our workload support units, it just means that people are waiting longer for their claims to be processed to get the money that they that they've earned that they deserve by paying into the system. Uh, likewise, with the hearing offices, more support staff leave. It takes longer to get a a case ready for hearing, get scheduled for hearing, and to have a decision issued. Uh, and, you know, thus we're making people wait longer to get the money that they're uh, entitled to. And that's not right. Um, and so, as you stated, uh, our interests and the interests of the public are very much aligned. And so what we wanted to do through the limited reopener that we that we took care of um that we that, and the agreement that we reached the tentative agreement that we reached was to try to tackle as many of those issues as as possible what's driving attrition what's making it more difficult for the agency to uh attract recruit and hold on to new workers uh in fiscal year 22 uh we lost uh, almost 17% of our new hires I mean, these are people who were hired up off the street to go through rigorous training on our very complex programs, and they're not staying. And, you know, that's a problem. And because they look around and they're like, wait a minute, I'm only getting paid this much, and I'm not guaranteed the same type of benefits that I can find in uh, other agencies or other sectors. Um, I'm not, this isn't what I signed up for. And they leave. And we still see anecdotally, although, uh, I'll tell you, as as recent as this week, as recent as la as the, uh, uh, Tuesday, we were in a meeting with uh, the agency, and we asked for updated attrition figures, and they told us that because those figures aren't yet public, they're not going to share them. So they have them, they're just not going to give them to us. And so, you know, the point that we've been making all along has been, how can we solve problems if we can't even identify and admit to what those problems are? You know, hiding attrition data isn't going to help serve the public any better. And, you know, maybe it makes the agency look bad, but, you know, sunshine is the best disinfectant. And, you know, having that information out there so we can talk about what those drivers are uh, is critically important to 
uh, obviously improving working conditions for the employees so that we're, we're dealing with the causes of attrition and the causes of poor recruitment numbers. Uh, but we're also ensuring that we are maintaining to the extent possible uh, the level of service that the public deserves. So, you know, a lot of uh, our proposals, some of those that you have mentioned, uh, that you had mentioned at the outset of our conversation, such as the temporary compassionate assignments, the improvements in the lactation program, uh, the prospective benefit that we're going to be looking at uh, for uh, emergency dependent care. Uh, you know, these improvements in our disciplinary process, improvements in our employee rights article, um, you know, a lot of these a lot of these issues uh, we're going to have for the first time uh, agency wide a virtual detail program. So we're going to uh, leverage technology to help with career opportunities for employees who oftentimes get stovepiped and are limited uh, by the part of the agency in which they work and oftentimes the geographical area in which they work. And so this is going to open up a whole world of opportunity for employees to advance themselves in their careers at SSA, uh, give them more opportunities and greater flexibility and work-life balance. And all of that is a net positive. Um, certainly, there's a lot of other issues, a lot, a lot of other things that we want to see have happen um, but we are unfortunately constrained by our uh, the appropriations process and uh, you know the arbitrary rules that really stymie the ability of Congress to give SSA the funding it needs to uh, be a premier agency to to be uh, a, a you know the the gold standard for public service in the government. Um, so you know those are those are that was one of the main missions that we had in recognizing that. Funding is a problem and that that the agency was very resistant to proposals that would cost money uh, and recognizing that we've had this problem where the traditional collective bargaining process has not worked in the way that it was designed uh, under federal sector labor law. And certainly uh, the way that we've experienced over the last you know, 20, 30 years where we can get agreements done fairly quickly. Uh, we've been able to do that historically and now agreements that would take two, three days to negotiate, you know, midterm agreements, you know, impact and implementation stuff that's now taking two, two to three weeks or two to three months. And oftentimes is only after we filed, you know, grievances or ULP charges for failure to bargain and all the rest to compel the agency to go to the table in the first place. And so what we sought to do, uh, and this is one of the things that President Biden has stated, but had not yet required through and has not yet required through any type of executive order. The president w has been uh, very keen to see uh, labor leadership and agency leadership across the government to uh, come together and cooperate through a process similar to uh, partnership. Uh, which was the term that was used during the Clinton administration that was very, very successful at SSA uh, and forums uh, under the Obama administration, which was not not as robust as, say, the, the Clinton era partnership, but um, was still it still resulted in a lot of, of, of good for both the employees and the public. And what this cooperation process that we were successful in negotiating at the table without having the benefit of an executive order to compel SSA to do so um, was building a process by which 
union leaders, union leaders such as myself and agency executives in the major components uh, in the Office of Commissioner, if need be, uh, the Office of Human Resources, et cetera, we will meet directly and we will run these meetings jointly and we will establish these agenda items jointly and there will be greater openness and transparency with respect to information and with respect to uh, interests to try to solve working condition issues and public service issues on a pre-decisional basis. And so by doing so, neither party is waiving any of their statutory contractual rights, uh, but you remove all of the obstacles that are inherent with uh, the traditional collective bargaining process, such as management rights, and they don't ever wanna, they don't ever wanna do anything that violates those. Uh, and everything to them is a violation. Everything to them is a man is a violation of management rights. Um, you know, so those sorts of those those sorts of obstacles aren't present because technically management hasn't yet made a decision. And so, by working together to come up with these cooperation agreements, we're calling them cooperation councils. Uh, by coming up with cooperation agreements on a pre-decisional basis, we can either obviate the need for formal bargaining uh, uh, post-decisionally. Um, or we're at least limiting the number of issues left to negotiate uh, in the traditional collective bargaining process. But by having the leadership interface directly and running the meetings jointly, rather than having the union go through a labor relations intermediary, which has not, and I'm being very generous in how I'm about to put this, uh, has not been a, an effective or efficient way of getting the, the public's business done, shall we say. Uh, I hope is going to lead to greater to, to uh, greater benefit for the employees, greater benefit uh, to the public in terms of improved public service. So we've already teed up several issues, such as a child care subsidy uh, for lower income workers. Uh, that's something that we're going to tackle. Uh, we're going to tackle the future of training at SSA because the training programs at SSA are abysmal uh, and have been a major driver of our new hires uh, leaving the agency. Uh, to provide better support to employees when they come out of training, uh, to they get proper mentoring and, and proper support when they're, they're in the office because our surveys and the emails that we've seen from employees who have left the agency uh, within a year have all stated uh, very consistently, I feel like I've been set up to fail. I'm not getting the support that I need. I don't know what I'm doing, frankly, because I haven't been uh, provided the, the the training and support that I need to uh, understand these programs, which, I mean, a, a claims representative training class or specialist training class, uh, that you're, you're talking three to four months on just one of the two main programs that they're responsible for administering, uh, whether it's retirement survivors and disability insurance or supplemental security income. Uh, you know, these are very uh, complex and technical programs that take months to train just on you know the, the basic training, it takes two, three, four, oftentimes five years to become proficient in these programs because of how technical they are. So, you know, we're we're looking to sort of overhaul all of those things, and by doing so, again, uh, to the extent possible, in this cooperation process, uh, where we can talk about interests and we can talk about what we need without having to worry about supposed violations of management rights and other types of pitfalls that would lead to disagreement and 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 um well, fighting so we're hopeful uh that by having this new process in place it will continue to yield further results 
that will benefit employees and the public alike. Great. Well, uh, brother, I really appreciate your time. That's great news, great background. Uh, I, I hope it's been educational for the audience. Um, uh, so looking forward to having you on again and really excited about this for the 42,000 workers of the Social Security Administration across the country. Thank you for having me, and please invite me back on any time. All right. Rich Kuchar, uh, president of AFGE Council 215, not 220. I got mixed up on that because uh, there are a lot of councils representing Social Security workers. So appreciate that correction at the top of the interview. Uh, we're going to be right back. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back, and we're going to go through what happened last week in Southern Labor. And if we have time, we're going to get to Sean Fain's reaction to Stellantis's proposals to the UAW. We'll be right back, folks. Stay tuned. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and neighbors are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough to keep their jobs. We need to fix this. Let's close the health care coverage gap. To learn more, visit CoverAlabama.org. Support for this program also comes from the Ironworkers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need ironworkers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. .org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 74 
Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senyard. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senyard Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senyard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senyard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senyard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senyard Law. The name with proven results. Do you work in an auto manufacturing plant? Are you tired of taking pride in your work without getting the respect you deserve? Consider joining the fight to unionize. Auto workers across the industry are coming together because with a union, we can negotiate for the pay, benefits, and security that we deserve and can help sustain our families. In union plants, workers bargain for long-term wage increases, competitive bonuses, and more affordable benefits. You can join the growing wave of organizing today. Find out more and contact us at Uniting Auto Workers on Facebook or contact UAW Region 8 in Lebanon, Tennessee by going to www.uawregion8.net. That's www.uawregion, the number 8, dot N-E-T. A better future is ours. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell. Now the good old union has come in here to dwell. Alabama's only union talk radio show. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. We just wrapped up a conversation with brother Rich Kucher of the Social Security Administration, one of the leaders of the American Federation of Government Employees, the largest empl- uh, the largest union of federal workers. Uh, really cool stuff about the contract uh, that they have just won within the Social Security Administration. And uh, listeners agree, AFGE cool is a chat that we have gotten. And uh, I agree, absolutely. And that's a great uh, that's a great message that I just got in the chat. Uh, DeSantis said he was going to slit some throats of federal workers on day one of his administration wow. if he wins. Yeah, he said, quote, the deep state, it's everybody. Everybody working for the government. Yeah. So the, the person you call when you're trying to get your Social Security right. is apparently the deep state? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. He wants... Okay. There's a lot I would say. I'm just not going to say much that I'm thinking right now. We are on the radio. We're on the radio. <laughs> All right. So instead of that, instead of that, instead of getting in trouble, let's talk about last week in Southern Labor, because every week, folks, workers in the South are on the move. You're not going to hear it in the news, but you're going to hear about it here. So let's get right into it with the new election filings. 
Eight engineers and mechanics at Jones Lang LaSalle in Jacksonville, Florida, filed for a union election with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, IBEW Local 177. 20 workers at a Starbucks cafe in Lexington, South Carolina, filed for an election with Starbucks Workers United. 24 workers at MV Transportation in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, filed for an election with the Amalgamated Transit Union, ATU Local 1546. One quality assurance worker at Ardent Mills in Sherman, Texas, filed uh, a petition to be added to the currently unionized bargaining unit with the Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco, and Grain Millers Union, BCTGM Local 111. For production and maintenance workers at CTI Foundation Terminal Incorporated in Savannah, Georgia, filed for an election with the United Steelworkers Local 673. 16 workers at Hospital Damas in Pounce, Puerto Rico, filed for an election with the Unidad Liberal de Enfermeros y Empleros de la Salud. Good job. That's that's better than I would have done. U-E-U-L-E-E-S. 13 delivery drivers for Restaurant Technologies Incorporated in Dallas, Texas, filed for an election with the International the Brotherhood of Teamsters, Local 745. 21 workers at Blue Crew in New Orleans, Louisiana, doing mechanic work and more, filed for an election with Workers United. 22 workers at a Starbucks cafe in Greenville, South Carolina, filed for a union election with Starbucks Workers United. 16 workers at Primary Medical Group in Ponce, Puerto Rico, filed for a union election with the same union, ULEE. S. Staff, and here we had, there were several petitions that were withdrawn in the last week, and this one in particular is sus. Somebody got to figure out what's going on in the Democratic Party in Tennessee, because last week, staff for the Tennessee Democratic Party withdrew their petition for union election with the IBEW. Interesting. Yeah. What the hell's going on in Tennessee? Some of y'all, I, I know that I've got some listeners that have connections with the Tennessee Democratic Party. Y'all got to figure out what's going on up there. Make sure there's not management shenanigans. Workers at Georgia Windstream in Dalton, Georgia, withdrew their petition for a union election. Workers at Amtec Control Southeast in Pineville, North Carolina, withdrew their petition for a union election, as well as workers at Nestle in Hartwell, Georgia, and workers at Pruitt Health in Panama City, Florida. Ugh. Bad stuff. But we got a lot of union wins. People who have filed for union election voted and won last week, too, including 60 workers at South Kentucky Rural Electric Cooperative in Somerset, Kentucky, who voted to unionize 40 to 16 with the IBEW Local 2100. Nice. Five workers, however, at Savannah Morning News in Savannah, Georgia, voted against unionization 0 to 3 with the New Skills CWA. 70 workers at Bradley Technologies Incorporated in Washington, D.C. voted in favor of unionization 13 to 1 with a union called Union Rights for Security Officers. Never heard of them. 31 workers at Amentum Services Incorporated in Fort Johnson, formerly Fort Polk, Louisiana, voted in favor of unionization 20 to 1. Nice. With the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. And finally, 74 workers across Alabama at AT&T won voluntary recognition from the company after they presented union authorization cards signed by a majority of the employees to be represented by the Communication Workers of America, CWA. Excited to see that. Uh, there was a big settlement last week by the American Federation of Government Employees 
who uh, won a settlement with the Department of Veterans Affairs securing return rights and back pay for, get this, nearly 5,000 employees who were wrongfully disciplined and terminated after the department illegally implemented new rules without bargaining over them. That's the power of a union, folks. 5,000 workers getting a check because they were, because uh, their boss overstepped. Not going to get that anywhere else. Uh, there are a couple of updates in strikes and bargaining. 1,400 workers at Frontier Communication in West Virginia and Ashburn, Virginia voted to give their bargaining team the authority to call a strike if necessary. Uh, the contract expired on the 5th of August, but has been extended through the 19th of August. So a week from today when we're broadcasting is the contract extension. They allowed it to uh, to extend through the 19th of August to allow bargaining to continue. Key issues in the negotiations are health care. The company's offer had none. Better job security and curbing the company use of subcontracting. There are no new strikes in the South this week, but baristas at Three Brothers Coffee in Nashville are still on strike, as are bakery plant workers at IFF, who are unionized with BCTGM in Memphis, Tennessee. The UAW continues to put pressure on the big three automakers with international president Sean Fain making a show of throwing Stellantis' proposal in the literal trash <laughs> and doing a live stream with U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders talking about the demands of the union and the working conditions of its members. The chief negotiator from Stellantis and its COO, Mark Stewart, has been away in his second home in Mexico for the last two weeks instead of attending bargaining while sending letters to the UAW to, quote, focus on reality during their negotiations mm. love to see that the ups teamsters are continuing to vote on the tentative agreement voting closes and the votes will be tallied on august the 22nd in politics and legislation industry groups in orange county florida sued and blocked a modest cap on rent hikes that was approved by voters in orange county florida by 59 percent they did that in 2022, and today rent is up over 30% since 2020 in Orange County. Major labor organizations like the Service Employees International Union, SEIU, the American Federation of Teachers, AFT, the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, AFSME, and the American Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organizations, AFL-CIO, have kicked off a $50 million campaign to put child and senior care legislation back on the priority list, specifically universal paid parental leave, child care, and paid medical leave for all U.S. workers. The U.S. Department of Labor last week announced the issuance of the final rule updating the Davis-Bacon and Related Acts regulation to update the regulations that implement the Davis-Bacon Act uh, to reflect better the needs of construction workers on federal construction investments. We're going to dive deeper into that here in the coming weeks, but the, but the upshot of that is construction workers on federal projects going to make more money gonna be safer uh gonna have more job security really good stuff um and finally in internal union affairs the the international alliance of theatrical and stage employees iatsi allocated an additional two million dollars in support of members affected by film and tv work stoppages bringing their total contributions to this fund to four million since the strikes began if we missed something going on in the south 
Let us know, folks, tvlr.fm slash contact. If you've got a tip about a labor story that you think should be included in a roundup like this, send us a tip and we will be sure to put it in. All right, we're not going to have time to take a look at uh, Sean Fain's reaction to Stellantis' proposal during the main show, but we're going to quickly react instead to something that our governor said. Our governor, Kay Ivey, she was giving an address to the Athens Limestone County Chamber of Commerce. For those of you who don't know, the Chamber of Commerce is not a government organization. It is the Federation of Bosses in regional areas. So this is the organization of bosses in Athens and Limestone County that she was speaking to. And she was talking about Alabama's labor force participation rate. And she said that she wants to get it up because so now she's saying, basically we have, we've done everything there is to do on the unemployment rate. Now we got to start focusing on the labor force participation rate. And so when she said that initially, you know, I, 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 I was not opposed to it. You know, I think that there are things that can be done. We can have uh, free education for people, free workforce retraining. Uh, we can create more government jobs with the state by doing important public works projects like updating our schools and libraries and county and municipal buildings. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in Alabama. People in Lowndes County, Alabama... A lot of them still don't have sewage, is my understanding. There's a lot of work that we could be doing as the state. There's a lot of training we could be doing as the state. And so, you know, look, if we want to attack the labor force participation rate, there's a lot of stuff that we can do. Uh, but that's not what she wants to do. Instead, Kay Ivey wants to scold us. That's what she wants to do. She said, quote, We've got to get to work on getting 50,000 folks who aren't looking for jobs, get them off their fannies, get them looking for jobs because there are jobs to be had. What a... I mean, this is how they view us, right? We don't work hard enough. We are lazy. That's how, that's how the governor of our state views her citizens. She says... People are not in the workforce, therefore they are lazy. And so the way to get them into the workforce is to scold them. Instead of thinking about, for two seconds, why is it, maybe, that somebody isn't in the workforce? Are they caring for their children? Because remember, actually, if you take a look at the working age labor force participation rate in the country, it is as high, basically, as it has ever been. If you take a look at the number of people that are age 25 to 54, see how much of them are in the workforce, it is 83.2%. It was only higher in the late 90s, and it only ever got to 84%. Okay? So we are basically having as many working age people working as we ever have. Right. So if somebody's before 25, maybe it's fine that they're not working. Maybe they're in college. If somebody's over 54, maybe it's fine that they're not working because they're retired. Maybe if somebody's even in between there and not working, maybe they're taking care of their children, which is something that people like her, people on her side of the aisle say that women aren't doing enough of. Saying that, oh, women, you know, they need to stay home and take care of their kids. And then they're going to turn around and scold those same women because they are staying home and taking care of the kids. You got to pick a lane, folks, because if every woman stayed home, guess what? The labor force participation rate in Alabama wouldn't be 60 or 70 percent. It would be 50 percent. It would be 40 something percent. 
right? So you got to pick a lane. Do you want people to work or do you not? And then if you want people to work, you got to figure out how to support them instead of scolding them because that's not going to get people back on the job. If you want people to work, you got to figure out how to support them. Maybe there are people that are not able to work because if they work, then if they work just a little bit, then they lose their Medicaid, which means that they don't have any health insurance and they could die. Think about how perverse the system we have is that working could be a death sentence. And that's even just thinking about what, if they're going to lose Medicaid, right? Because And that's not even taking into account that Alabama's workplaces are more dangerous than the workplaces of 46 other states. Remember, we have the fourth highest workplace fatality rate. 5.5 per 100,000 workers on the job are going to die in Alabama this year. Right? So there are a lot of things that we could be doing to bring our labor force participation rate up. But they don't want to do that. They just want to scold us. And so, you know, I'm not super interested in that, actually, as a working person. So that's what I've got to say on that. Do you have anything before we wrap up, Adam? Oh, yeah, I've got a lot, but it is 1058. <laughs> and so I'm going to save it for overtime. All right. Yeah, that's let's do that. We're going to take a couple of plugs and then we're going to wrap that up after we get off the air. And then we're going to uh, go into overtime. So just a reminder, folks, labornotes.org, uh, they have always have great events. Check them out. Uh, they're a sponsor of Shop Talk. Uh, really cool stuff. Alabama Arise has a town hall coming up, uh, or they have town halls coming up. So make sure that you go to alarise.org, where Adam is now the Northeast Alabama organizer. I don't know if we've announced that on the air, but it is public. So that's really cool. Adam was on America's Workforce last Thursday. So check that out. Don't forget Shop Talk every Thursday morning. If you're not on our email list, tvlr.fm, get on it. Uh, and send us money, tvlr.fm slash donate, folks. So that is going to uh, wrap it up for today. We are going to continue for another hour and a half at least. We may go long today. I don't know because we got a lot of stuff to get to. But uh, find us online where we're going to continue, uh, continue going. Uh, and with that, folks, we'll see you next week. <laughs>